Isaiah chapter 9. I hope you're ready. I am excited to share with you from God's Word. And I actually want to begin by talking about my very, 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 very special wife this morning. All right? Can we just, yes, thank you, Nancy. She deserves that. Uh, she, she just, this woman shines at all two, times throughout the year, but particularly in the Christmas season. And here, here's why you need to know. Some of you know her as Marsha. Some of you know her as Marshita. All right. Some of you know, uh, know that I love to call her my wife, Dauna Imterl. According, uh, apparently that's bad Spanish, but that's important and meaningful to me because that means she is the one. Amen. And I thought I would get some love for that. I thought I would get some applause. I mean, this is for who she is. So she's shining year-round, but especially at Christmas. And, and here's one of the main reasons why, okay? Not only is she hosting uh, and, and caring for people, uh, not only is she, you know, doing all of the school details. How many know of parents with school-age kids that we're at three different campuses? So it's like a thousand details that she is taking the lead in orchestrating all of these details. And I thank God for my wife almost every single day. Lord, help me to do it every day. But, but, but then probably more than others, all the others, is when she steps up and owns the Christmas gifts. All right? Now, I know some of you husbands dominate when it comes to Christmas gifts, and you're dreaming up the plans, and you're, you're buying and, and wrapping and then executing, but that's not my strength, and she just crushes it, all right? So, so once again, Marcia is doing her thing. Probably 95% of the responsibility, maybe 97 or 98, uh, she is just dominating. And so, so what I have to do is, uh, around this time of year, I have to remind her, if you see a package, one of the few packages with my name on it, do not open that package. And so, you know, I don't know about you, but Black Friday, Cyber Monday, I was trying to do my thing, prepare in advance for a great Christmas. I, I got to keep it real. I didn't do such a great job last year. I thought I did a great job until she opened the gifts. And so I'm like, I got to step my game up this year. So I'm, I'm on top of things this year. And I've reminded her three times to not open any boxes with my name on it. And I get a call on Thursday morning. And she says, you're going to be upset. (laughs) And she said, I was wrapping all of, and I knew where this was going. I was wrapping all of the gifts and I was just in my zone doing my things because I get things done. This is one of the things that Marsha loves to remind us. And she does, she does. And I just knew. And, and this was my, this was, this was just what came to, to mind. You are really special. <laughs> you were like, you are really special. It just, she, she knew what I, she knew what I meant by that. It's like, you know, it was my way of kind of cutting up with her, but not really being upset. Uh, so, so Marcia, of course, unwraps her gift in the box with my name on it for a early Christmas present reveal. Amen. Has anyone done this before in your home? Maybe. I hope not, but it happens. So um, as we think about this Christmas season, I am super excited to share with you that our God is 
the best gift giver. And, and, and as we think about God being the best gift giver, what, what I want to pose to you this morning is that so many times, for so many of us, perhaps all of us in one degree or another, we are the opposite of my very amazing and very, very special wife. God has given us a gift with our name on it. And rather than opening it, we leave it sealed up. And so what I, what I hope to do today is, is to help us see that when God gave us Jesus, he gave us everything. When God gave us Jesus, he gave us everything. And I'm going to walk through Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And this is going to be like my Christmas Advent devotional told me this morning from Nancy Guthrie when she said that the glory of God being revealed in Jesus is like unwrapping a gift to where as we begin to understand what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, that the glory of God is revealed in his coming, in all that he brings us, in his salvation. And this revealing is an unveiling. It's an unwrapping for us to see all that he is and all that he offers to us in the gift of himself. And so this morning, I need you to buckle up, okay? I need, you, I need you to lock in because I have seven gifts that I am going to give you this morning. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I couldn't help but get that Apple iPhone 14 uh, commercial out of my mind. Have you seen it? The, the most amazing depiction of a mom that I've seen recently in commercials where she sees her son at the start line of the race and she slides up and she has her iPhone 14 action mode in this get out my way. Get out of my way. You guys remember this amazing commercial? That, that's how I'm feeling this morning as I'm preaching God's truth, okay? Just get ready to receive because I'm coming at you in the name of Jesus with much love, just like that mother, okay? So what do we see here? What do we see here in Isaiah chapter 9? Let's read it together. I'll read it for us. It says this, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way beyond the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as, in, as on the day of Midian. 
for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. As we process these words this morning and as we unpack these seven gifts that come in the gift of Jesus, my one question for you this morning is simply this, for you to answer honestly in the recesses of your hearts. What more could you want? What more could you want than what God has given us in Jesus Christ. The first gift that I want us to see this morning is that God brings the gift of joy in the gift of Jesus. Verse 1 talks about a time of darkness, gloom, and anguish. And what you need to understand about Isaiah's prophecy, his giving messages from God to the people, is that he was prophesying, he was declaring these messages in a time of great economic prosperity, but spiritual poverty. The people were experiencing all that their materialistic hearts longed for, but they were neglecting following God and worshiping him in the ways of righteousness and justice. And this led to God's discipline. This would lead to God's discipline where he would send them into exile. This is what Isaiah is prophesying. He's saying there is going to be a time of darkness that is, that is you haven't seen since the time that you as a people were enslaved in Egypt. And yet, against this deep darkness in this way of your dwelling, it says in the text, you're, you're dwelling in darkness. Darkness is your home. In the midst of such darkness, there is more than a ray of hope. Because what we see is that God sends a great light to these people that are dwelling in deep darkness. It says that that there is going to be a light that shines on the people. And if you want some homework, go read Isaiah chapter 60, where it talks about the glory of God arising and shining on his people in the ultimate return of the Messiah when he will right all of the wrongs that we experience in this life. And so this, this joy is, is captured for us as we read verse 3. Look at this. You have multiplied the nation. 
you have increased its joy. They rejoiced before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. We see the multiplication of joy here. We see the increase of joy. We see joy that is a harvest kind of joy. In other words, God has provided for us where we are going to be taken care of and our needs are met. And that is certainly a reason to celebrate and be joyful. And God says, look, all of this is coming to you. All of this is yours because of how much I love you and what I am doing for you in the Messiah. Because don't miss, don't miss these, these two important words. It says, they rejoice, what? Before you. Joy is found in the presence of God. Joy is found in the coming of Jesus. And this is so important. Listen, you may be here today and you may not understand the the story of Jesus or you may not understand it as deep as God wants you to. And I got to tell you, this this was me for so long when it comes to joy. You see, I, I picture joy as kind of like the birthday cake that our staff team brought me at our Christmas party Friday night. Hey, thank you. Thank you, team, for that. Eight days early. It was nice to be celebrated and loved it. And, 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 and they had three candles. I don't know if that was for 43 or what, but, 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 but this cake is, is, is how I used to view joy. Is that joy, if I walked with Jesus enough, if, if I read my Bible enough days in a row, if I showed up on Sundays and sang the songs, and if I did all of these things, then maybe I would experience joy. As if joy was the icing on the cake of the Christian life. But Jesus comes. And he says, joy is not the icing on the cake. Joy is the whole thing. It's the cake. It's the icing. It's the candles. It's everything. God God does what he does so that we would experience and walk in. Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 11, go read it. He says, I have given you joy that your joy might be full, that it might be complete. God wants us to receive the gift of joy, this Christmas season. But then number two, we see the second gift that God offers us freedom. I love verses four and five. Again, it depicts a difficult time. It depicts exile. It depicts a time when the people of Israel are going to live under oppression, where they are living under the staff and the rod of their oppressors. And even, I didn't explain earlier, but verse 1 talks about the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. These are the northernmost territories in Israel, which are just south of Assyria, where the Assyrians are going to come in and invade Israel and carry them off into captivity. And so... God says, look, you, you are going to experience oppression. You are going to experience degradation, okay? In other words, people are going to treat you less than human. 
They're going to degrade you. They're going to humiliate you as they oppress you. But I have not forgotten about you. Because that is what the plans of man would bring to God's people in his loving discipline. But but God says, I'm not done with you. Because this oppression, this humiliation, this degradation that you are going to experience, listen, I am going to send my Messiah and he is going to do what? He's going to break it. And he is going to break it as in the day of Midian. You say, Pastor Tanner, what on earth is verse 4 talking about when it says, as on the day of Midian? And here's just a little tip for you, okay? Um, when, when you see a word that you don't understand the Bible, you could just do a quick Google search, Midian Bible verses, all right? Like this is just one like Bible hack, all right? And what you would find is that Midian starts popping up like light bulbs, like Christmas tree lights in Judges chapters six and seven. And it was in this time that the people of Israel were doing right in their own eyes. That's not a good thing. And God was sending discipline to them. And, and then they were, they were being, uh, you know, uh, captured by their enemies or, or attacked by their enemies and losing battles. And things were a mess until he would raise up a deliverer. It's called a judge. That would bring salvation. And so Gideon was one of those saviors that God raises up. In chapter 6. And then in chapter 7, he says, I want you to take 22,000 people, Gideon, and I want you to go and fight against the army of Midian. And guess what? Gideon says, he says, God, 22,000 is not going to get the job done because we are outnumbered. We don't know how many people Midian had in their army, but we know that it was much greater than 22,000. And God says, you know what, Gideon, you're right. 22 is not going to get the job done. I want you to take 10,000 to fight them. And so he musters his troops and he brings 10,000 troops and God says, time out. 10,000 isn't going to cut it either, Gideon. I need you to take three men to fight this great army and 300 people destroy a whole army because God works the salvation for his people and this is the message listen this is the message of Christmas God accomplishes his magnificent salvation in the most seemingly insignificant ways. The most magnificent salvation comes in the most seemingly insignificant ways. God becomes a baby. This this baby was born in Bethlehem. Listen, to a poor family, a very poor family, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, comes so seemingly insignificantly, and yet he is the one who would bring freedom to the people of God. 
And this is not a temporary freedom. This is a lasting freedom. This is a freedom that will go on forever and ever. It says that in, 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 in verse, verses 6 and 7, but in verse 5, it says that every boot of, tramp, of the tramping warrior in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be burned. And otherwise, no more war. No, 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 no more uh, of this injustice and oppression that, that the Messiah is going to do away with them ultimately and completely. And so I think, I think if your heart is anything like mine and you see all of the mess that's happening in our world, you're saying, God, we need freedom. We need freedom really, really, really bad. And this is what Jesus came to bring. He came to bring us joy. He came to bring us freedom. But he also came to bring us direction. When we get to verse 6, we get to maybe one of the most familiar verses of the Christmas story when it says, to us a child is born, highlighting the humanity of Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary into the world in a little barn in Bethlehem. But this child that was born was also a son that was given. In other words, the, the son of God existed before he became this baby born of a woman. And this, this tells us the, the incarnation, God becoming flesh, God becoming man in our midst. And Jesus is, is captured, his work, his character is captured in four different titles. We see the first one is Wonderful Counselor. Jesus brings us direction in life. I know that you face thousands upon thousands upon thousands of decisions every single year of your life. You may be going into 2024 with family decisions or work decisions or personal decisions. Some of your decisions may be small. Some of them may be super big. Some of them may seem very easy and safe. Some may feel painful and even risky. And what I want to tell you is this is that Jesus says, I want you to pull up a chair and to talk to me about your decisions. I came to be your counselor. Listen, it's great to have a counselor. I have a counselor. We're big advocates of, of receiving counsel, pastoral counseling and professional counseling outside of church friends that give us counsel. So it's good to have a counselor, but God help us to come to you as the most wonderful counselor in our lives. Whatever's going on, whatever you, you don't understand, whatever, wherever you don't see the way, wherever you need more light on your path, Jesus is saying, pull up a chair. And the reason, listen, the reason that he can do this you might want to write this down. It's Colossians chapter 2. I think it's verse 3. It's right in there. Okay, it says that Jesus has all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in himself. Now, now, why is that a big deal? Because God is God, which means God sees everything. He's not only everywhere at all times and, and has, has, has all power, but he also has all knowledge, which means he sees the beginning, whatever your beginning is, and he also sees your end. And the decisions that you're wrestling with, he not only knows that you're wrestling with them today, but he knows exactly how the outcomes of those decisions are going to unfold. 
And that's, that's pretty nice. If I'm going to follow a God, I want a God that knows it all. But, but, but think about this. The wisdom of God is God's ability to not only know what is going to happen, but how he wants us to get there. I could say it another way. God not only ordains the ends of our direction and our decisions, but he also knows and wants to ordain the means to those ends, and that is his wisdom. And so we go to him and we say, Jesus, help me. You are my wonderful counselor. I need you to guide me in the way that I should go. God wants to give you direction as we finish this year and move into the next. And he also wants to give you number four. He also wants to give you his strength. He wants to give you his strength. One of the things that I love about Boston and this doesn't matter if you're, you know, white collar or blue collar, okay? You could be the local teamsters or the person in innovative tech, all right? You could be the nurse that's punching overtime like crazy right now, or you could be the teacher that's just trying to survive one more week. Amen, teachers? Where are my teachers at? Amen. Maybe they're all like sleeping this morning because they are just flat worn out today. But one thing about Bostonians is... We work really hard. We, we stay up late. We're not afraid to go above and beyond in the workplace. We, we take pride in our work. We want to do our best. We want to we succeed and achieve and innovate and create and all of these beautiful things. But sometimes with the most innovative and the most accomplished people, there can become this self-reliance and we do things in our own strength and God is just looking at us and he's smiling and he's saying listen I know you don't want to like put it out there but I know deep down you are very very weak we are physically weak we are emotionally weak. We are mentally weak. At times, we are spiritually weak. And what God says in our weakness is what he says when we don't have direction and we need counsel is that he says, look, come to me. Because what? I am the mighty God. Verse 6, I am El Gabor, the God of strength. And whatever you need in your life, I am ready to deliver it if you would just acknowledge your weakness and say, God, I need your strength. God wants to gift it to you this Christmas season as he's given you Jesus. Not just for joy, not just for freedom, not just for direction, but also for your strength day by day. But then number five, we see this in the next title in verse six, the gift of maybe our default, what we normally talk about when we talk about God, and rightfully so. It is the gift of his love. It says that this baby, I want you to process this with me, okay? It says that this baby born in Bethlehem will be not just a wonderful counselor and a mighty God, but he will be everlasting father. 
And if, 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 you're, if you're listening closely, if you're thinking about our understanding of God, how is it, you may be asking the question, you might even be confused, how is it that the Son of God is called Everlasting Father? Anybody asking that question? This is what we call metaphorical language. It is, it is drawing a comparison to help us understand the character of this coming king. And so Jesus is one who, like a loving father, protects his people. Like a loving father, he provides for his people. Like, I love this. Like a loving father, Jesus is present with his people. I'm talking he's fully present. He is locked in, fully engaged. Listen, you are never going to go to God. And God's going to say, you know what? I'm sorry, I don't have time for you. You're never even going to go to God and God's going to have something better to do. On top of that, listen, you're never going to go to God and God is going to... Check his phone. Ten times in the conversation. And I pause there because I can get convicted pretty quick. I'm I'm not a perfect parent. Sometimes I'm tired at night and it's 8.45 and... My girls know it's like I'm just trying to get 15 minutes of chill, but I need to pause and put that phone down or put it in the other room and just engage and be fully present like our Heavenly Father. Sometimes we get asked, we have four kids, so people just think we know how to parent, you know? <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, and I go, hey, give, give us your tips. Give us all the wisdom. Here's my philosophy of parenting. Love the mess out of your kids. Love them. Love them with everything you've got. Be present. Show up. If you can take off early to get to the game, take off. No one's going to care if you worked four more hours and made 200 more dollars. But your kids will remember that you showed up. Like your everlasting father. God is good like that. He's the perfect parent. We have some amazing moms and dads in this church. And every goodness that we see, every bit of goodness that we see in them, it's only a reflection of our perfect, heavenly, everlasting father. And listen, God wants you to receive this. He wants you to receive his love again, maybe for the first time today. Number six, a couple more. God wants to give you his peace. What does this say? Jesus is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father and he is the Prince of Peace. 
And maybe if you were around or you caught it online, you might remember that I preached a sermon two weeks ago that made the assertion that peace is a person. So I don't feel the need to preach this again, but I want to remind us that we experience peace from anxiety. Anybody still facing a few anxieties in life? We experience peace from anxiety, not by the subtraction of our problems, but by the addition of a person. His name is Jesus. Do you see a theme here? Come to him for counsel. Come to him for strength. Come to him to receive his love. Come to him for peace. In this peace, listen, we're always tempted to read the Bible through an individual lens, right? So it's like, oh, Prince of Peace, you're my peace, God. Take my anxiety, Lord. And he wants to do that. But the peace that is here is not a really even a much so much a personal peace as it is a, a cosmic and comprehensive peace. The Hebrew word shalom, it refers to flourishing. It refers to life as it ought to be, the, the way that we want our world to work and operate. This is what Jesus came and died and rose again to deliver us. And he wants us to understand that the way that he operates and the way that his government, his reign is going to increase, there will be no end to this peace, verse 7 says. Because on the throne of David, he will reign forever. And nothing is able to stop what he plans and nothing is able to disturb what he does. Peace is coming, friends. And peace is coming because Jesus has come and is coming again. And so I hope that you will receive the gift of peace. And there's so much more that we could say. I mean, we could give a hundred gifts for, you know, this, this morning in terms of what comes with Jesus. But the last one I want to give you is this. Jesus wants to give you the gift of confidence. You say, Pastor Tanner, I'm a pretty smart person and I don't see the word confidence in this section. You're right. You're really smart, or at least a good reader. But look back at verse 7. It says, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Every gift that we've considered today, joy, freedom, direction, strength, love, peace, it's, it's all, listen, it's all guaranteed because God is passionate to see to it. There is more passion and zeal in the heart of God than we can begin to imagine. And whatever Yahweh of angel army says, the Lord of hosts, whatever he says, whatever promise he makes, he 
will do it. And so you can have the utmost confidence today that this is more, this is more than just like, hey, Christmas sermon, let's hear about a gift. All of these gifts, they're as good as gold because Jesus is good to fulfill every one of his promises. And so before I wrap up our time in God's word, I just want to ask you this most simple question. Have you received the gift? Have you received this gift? Have you received the gift of Jesus? Because I can tell you this. There is no greater gift that you will ever be offered in this life from birth to the grave than the gift of Jesus. And God has given a gift. That means it's free. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You just receive it. And he has written your name on that gift. And so listen, if you've never Receive the gift of Christ. It's as simple as taking two steps. Number one, tell God that you want to receive the gift. Tell God that you need to receive the gift. That there are places in your life that that are all messed up. And primarily, it's not just because life is hard and people around you are difficult. Those things are true but it's because there is sin within us that says, God, I know better than you. I'm going to follow my own wisdom, my own direction. I'm going to live in my own strength. I'm going to not follow and receive your love, but I'm going to do my own thing. And so this morning, would you, if you've never stepped into the life of Christ, if you've never received the gift with your name, would you tell God that you want him, that you need him, that you're sorry for doing your own thing and going your own way? And then would you Simply commit to say, God, your way is better. My life is yours. And I'm going to follow you with everything I've got. In light of the fact that you have given me everything. If that's you today, I want to invite you to receive Jesus right now, right in your own space, in your own words to receive the gift. And as we've already prayed here this morning, listen, this is not just a one-time thing. It is an everyday thing that God wants us to open our hands to receive again and again and again and again. So I'm gonna pray and our prayer team is gonna come forward and uh, we wanna... We want to pray with you. We want to pray over you. We want to, anything that God is doing in your heart, perhaps for, for, for some, for many of you, you're saying today is my day. I want to go all in with Jesus. I want to follow him with my life. I want to receive this gift that he offers me. And if that's you, we want you to come and to share that with our team so we can rejoice with you and pray over you in this new journey that you're beginning to follow Christ. But for those of you that have followed Jesus for a while, you may say, I just, I just need more of his direction. I just need more of his love, more freedom, more peace, more strength. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for 
I mean, we're taken back, God. You are wonderful. You are amazing. You are so much more than we could dream or imagine. And God, we ask that in these moments, we wouldn't just let them pass by. But whatever you're speaking to our hearts, Lord, that we would say yes. And maybe that's just a simple one word prayer that we can offer around this room as we can say yes. Yes to your gift. Yes to all of the gifts that come with the gift of Jesus. You're so good, Lord. You're so good. We thank you and praise you today in the name of Christ. Amen. All right.